You be seated. Kids third grade and under can head to kids' church third grade and under. Amen. It's so nice to be worshiping with you all together. We made the decision to uh, have a combined service besides sunrise service at 9.30, so I'm hoping there won't be a lot of people that show up at 10.30 and are like, what's going on here? Uh, so hopefully the news got out, but it is so nice to be together as a church family and be in a combined service. I've heard from several people saying, I haven't seen so-and-so in such a while, and how are they doing? Are they still going to church? And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're a first service crowd, or they're second service crowd, and, and so look around, get to know each other again. Uh, we had a wonderful sunrise service. Pastor Sean preached and braved the cold to have communion outside. And Jeff Davis played, played the trumpet with gloves on. He hadn't done in a long time. And uh, it was wonderful. And, and Pastor David and Rachel provided breakfast for us. It was great. Today's sermon is entitled, Who is to Blame for Jesus' Death? Who is to Blame for Jesus' Death? If there's something that we've learned from life in the 21st century, there always has to be someone to blame. Someone is always at fault. Let's say your sports team loses the championship game. Who had an error that game? Who missed the last foul shot? Who called timeout when they weren't supposed to? Who dropped a wide open pass? It's all that person's fault. Someone loses their temper and smacks somebody. It was their own fault for offending me. It doesn't matter if they were a comedian. And what they do is make fun of people for professionally. Maybe, maybe that strikes too close to home too soon. Inflation? It has to be one or two people's faults. It couldn't be that uh, we're a culture of excess without responsibility. War? It's the ruler's fault. It couldn't be that the heart of man is desperately wicked and is never satisfied. Where'd that last Kit Kat go? <laughs> oh, it's your fault because you didn't fix me supper fast enough. Someone is always to blame. And the interesting thing is, we rarely put blame on ourselves. We rarely put blame on ourselves. But that's nothing new to the 21st century. This has been part of our problem from the very beginning. And so this morning, as we gather to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection, the fact that he lives, he rules, and reigns for all of eternity, I want us to look at who is to blame. Okay, Our culture is all about blame. Let's look at who is actually to blame. But first, let's take a history lesson on the blame game. <laughs> I'm your host, Pastor Nate Williamson, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. You all are contestants in the longest-running game of all time, the Blame Game. Can I get a clap? All right. First question, can we dim the music, please? Thank you. Oh, okay. First question. In the Garden of Eden, who was to blame for Adam's sin? In the Garden of Eden, who was to blame for Adam's sin? Anyone? 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 The answer is Eve and God. 
For Adam said, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. Even God, yes, that's the correct answer. Next question. Who was to blame for Eve's sin? That's right, the serpent. For Eve said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. It's pretty funny, right? <laughs> okay, next question. Who was to blame for Abel's death? That's what you would think, but we don't know. Because when asked by God about Abel, Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Next question. We're going through these quick. You guys are great contestants. Who was to blame for Saul losing the kingship of Israel? This answer is a two-parter. It couldn't have been because of Saul's disobedience to God. It was actually Samuel's fault. Samuel's fault. Because he was late. I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. It was also God's fault because God was being impractical. He called Saul to kill all of the enemy, every living thing, and yet Saul decided to keep the livestock, the best of the animals. He says, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and goats and cattle, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Now we're here for double bonus question. The final question who was to blame for Samson's wife dying, the loss of his eyes, and the loss of his strength? It couldn't be his selfish impulsiveness, his lack of forgiveness, sleeping with Philistine prostitutes. It was the Philistines' fault. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. I think you guys get the point. I don't know how they can talk that way for that long. <laughs> Woo! I knew either that was going to work or it was going to fall flat in the face. Either way, it would have been a memorable Easter for you today. The point is, the blame game is the oldest game in the world, and Jesus' death is no different. His death was all about the blame game. Whose fault was it that he died? When you read the Gospels, you see that everyone passes the blame for why Jesus ended up dead on the cross. Now, it'd be easy to say it's the Pharisees' fault because they were the religious leaders. Because Jesus did miracles in front of them, taught them, did all of these things, and they still were resistant to believe and change because it would mean that they would lose their power and their prominence. We could put the blame on Judas, who put a price tag on Jesus' life. He traded in Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But, let's just look at the disciples for a second. Might they be to blame as well? Peter and the other disciples are recorded in saying in Matthew 26, 35, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. And yet, 
in a matter of hours later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So, Pharisees, Judas, disciples, all could be part of the problem. But let's look more deeply at the Pharisees. Their ambition, their ambition led them to putting Jesus to death. In fact, as we looked about at um, a couple weeks ago with uh, the triumphant entry, and they see Jesus coming in and people proclaiming him the Messiah and hail to the son of King David and all this stuff, they say we've lost them. The whole world has turned to him. That's their perspective. It's about them versus. And so often when we live our life that way, we're in constant comparison mode. It's always us versus someone else. And we can't just love and receive and accept. And so when they knew Jesus was going to die, they showed very little responsibility. Because Judas had, had a, a guilty conscience when he realized, and he's holding that bag of silver coins, those 30 pieces of silver, and he looks at it and realizes what he did. He realizes how worthless that was compared to the life of Jesus, and he comes to them and tries to make things right. And they, he brings the blood money to Jesus, and their response ultimately is, it wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. They call it blood money, which they paid, but they show no remorse or conviction about it. Yeah, this is blood money. We can't put this in the temple treasury. Who paid the blood money? You did. You did. They're the religious leaders of the Jewish religion. And they're passing the blame. We could put the blame on Pilate. He is the Roman official in charge of Israel during this time. Since the religious rulers couldn't carry out the death sentence, it was entirely the decision of Pilate. And if you read Pilate's story, it is so interesting across the Gospels. He really is an interesting individual because he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's trying, he doesn't want to be in Israel. It's a hard assignment. He's trying to honor Rome, but he's this balance of power between making the religious leaders happy, trying to stifle rebellion among the people, and then honoring Rome. And so he's, he's just trying to find that balance between all the political pressures he's feeling. At one point, his wife even says, leave this man alone. I had a dream about him, and, and, and he's innocent. Leave him alone. But ultimately, in Matthew 27, 24, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere, and that there was a riot developing, so he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. Kids, don't try this at home. When mom and dad, you know, tell you to wash your hands before supper, and then they find something that you broke around the house, you don't come out, wring out your hands, and say, I'm innocent of this destruction. Washing your hands doesn't cleanse you of anything, does it, right? It doesn't even get all the germs. Most, uh, I see the, the germ fanatics in here going, no! It, it doesn't effectively work. So, who is really to blame? Well, there are two groups that take the blame. The first is Judas Iscariot. Judas takes the blame. 
when he returns the money to the Pharisees, he says to them, I have sinned because I have betrayed innocent blood. He readily admits, I am the one who is guilty. Jesus is innocent. Please, I want to make it right. I want to make it right. And what did he get for his admittance of guilt from the religious leaders? These bearers of the worship, the ones who know God best, the ones who are the gateway to community and to religious culture, how do they respond to his confession? They tell him, what do we care? That's not our problem. You took the blame? Great. You can have the blame. Yeah, it's our blood money that you took, but you took it anyway. It's your fault. No compassion, no sharing of the blame, no attempt at reconciliation. And Judas went out and hung himself because he didn't realize there was grace and forgiveness and hope. And he thought, I have just betrayed the Messiah, God in human flesh, and there's no place for me. The second group to blame is the crowd of people. When Pilate tried to pass it off, wash my hands of it, let it be on you guys, do you know how the people responded? They said, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. That's a terrible, rash commitment, isn't it? How many things are you suffering today because of the decisions of your parents? I, I would venture to say, almost everyone in this room is suffering from something because of a decision your parents made. Either a rash one, or an irrational one, or a pattern of sin. Yes, we'll take responsibility. We and our children. Now why? Why are they so violently against Jesus? This is the point where Pilate has brought out Barabbas and Jesus. And he's, he's giving the people a chance to choose. Who do you want me to free? The son of the Almighty God, the Eternal Father, or Barabbas, which means son of the Father, the eternal son of darkness, right? The, the father of sin, the one who's guilty of sin, the, the, the rebel, the murderer, or the innocent pure holy son of God. He gives them a choice, and they choose to release Barabbas. What happened? Mark 15, 11 says, at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. We're not told how they enticed the crowd. We're not told if they said, hey, uh, there's an extra 100 bucks in your pocket if you choose to let Jesus die. But we also remember that the religious leaders had the ability to put pressure on people and they could kick people out of worship. If you couldn't go to the temple or the tabernacle, you weren't going to heaven. And so they could say, if, if you're not going to cheer for his death, then you're out. And, and we, we talk about being blackballed today in this culture and society of blame where people can't get a job if you don't share their same political views. That's what we're dealing with. That's exactly what's going on. The religious leaders entice them. And it was enough for them to put the blame 
of the death of Messiah on their own hands and the hands of their children. So by now you probably get the point, right? From Adam and Eve all the way to the cross, every single individual of all time has played the blame game, right? But who is really to blame? We are. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. There's not a person in this room who isn't to blame for Jesus' death. But I wasn't born yet! (laughs) That happened like 2,000 years ago. How can I take the blame for something that I didn't do? That was forefathers. I'm not even Jewish. How, How can you... Every single one of us is to blame. If your knee-jerk reaction is to point the finger, then you need to receive that you are to blame as well. Jesus died on the cross for every sin ever committed by every individual. We can spend our life blaming everyone for our problems we have in our life, every consequence we're experiencing, but when it boils down, Each one of us is to blame for Jesus' death. And do you know what Jesus says to us today? We who are guilty, we of us who have blood on our hands, we and us who hold in our hands, maybe not 30 pieces of silver, but something that we would rather have than him. Do you know what he said on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So although we are all to blame, Jesus, on the cross, shows us grace that the religious leaders were not willing to show to Judas. Even though we are all guilty and to blame, that doesn't mean that God's grace isn't for every single one of us. So, first thing, you're to blame. Receive it. Own it. Feel bad about it. But pastor, I don't want to go to a church where I feel bad. Sorry. That's life. Feel bad. Jesus died for you. For your sin. For your consequences. You're at fault. Okay. But, He died for you. And His grace is for every single one of you in this room. There's not one of us in this room that He singles out and says, I didn't die for them. (laughs) I like most of you, but that guy, he's the worst. Think about it. We did this journey of the cross where we had nine different stations set up throughout this whole building. One room, you had to write, I do not know him on a whiteboard to connect with Peter. Others, we had to wash our hands like Pilate. We had to put a nail into the cross. All of these experiences were meant for us to realize we are to blame. But the beauty of the cross is there's grace. And the picture that we get, even on the cross of itself, is the two guys hanging next to him. 
One of my, my favorite bands in college was a band called Between Thieves, which sounds like an odd name, right, until you realize that Jesus was between thieves. And these thieves, one of them, they're both being hung. They're both suffering the consequences of their sin. They're both hanging there till they die. One of them joins in with the crowd mocking Jesus. The guys that spit in his face, that mocked him, that pulled out his beard, that beat him, and and all of this, he joins in with them. (laughs) You dummy! Hey, if you're so great, come off the cross. Do you look at where you are? And the other guy says, what are you doing, man? We deserve this. But this guy's never done anything wrong. He's perfect. He's innocent. Here's the conversation that Luke records. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. If there's anybody in the crowd of Golgotha that day that Jesus should say, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to die for. It's the two guys hanging next to him. And yet that's not the heart of God. The heart of our Savior. If the other guy would have said, you know what? You're right. I need to fear God. I'm about to die. I'm breathing my last breaths. If there is a God, I better get right with him. Can you forgive me too? I guarantee Jesus would have said, yep, I'll see you today in paradise as well but he didn't. (sighs) Beautiful picture. It's one of my favorite things about the the, the death narrative is that one guy hanging on the cross, having this moment, this epiphany as he's breathing his last, as he's suffering and dying, and saying, I want to be known with him. He's hanging here because I'm hanging here. I deserve this, and he doesn't. Can you show me grace? And Jesus says, yes, yes. Folks, we are all to blame. I want you to feel your shame and know your guilt. We need to understand the depravity of our sins. Now, don't come away from this message today and saying, Pastor Nate was so rough on us. I feel worse coming out of an Easter service. Listen, that's not where we're going to end up, okay? But we got to get realistic sometimes, right? That's the problem with the blame game. The blame game causes us to make excuse for our sin and say, well, if so-and-so weren't in my life, then I'd be fine. Or if I didn't have this job, or if my mom wouldn't have abused me, or my dad had ever told me he loved me, then I would be this way. That's how the blame game works. You are who you are by the choices you've made. But the cross gives us one more choice. 
today, do you want to know that when you breathe your last, you will be with Jesus in paradise? Don't let your sin crush you like Judas. Instead, know that even though your sin put Jesus on the cross, he willingly went. There was no accident as to why he ended up there. If you study the Gospels up to this point, there's three or four times he tells the disciples exactly what's going to occur. The Gospels make reference to every prophetic uh, book of the Old Testament. Every prophecy points to the details of what's about to happen. There is no mistake. Jesus was not a casualty of culture. Jesus went willingly for us. And he knew that whether we denied our guilt and sin or not, that he would still suffer the consequences, consequences which was our death and eternal separation from him. So Jesus took the blame and the guilt that wasn't his. I don't know many people like that. I don't know many people that I've been guilty of something and they said, I did it. I did it. Had a situation in my house just a little while ago. One of my kids had a birthday and they got a beautiful little doll. So excited about it. And so they were playing with their dolls, doing their hail, all that stuff I don't understand because I'm a dude. And one of my kids tried to cut her doll's hair to give her bangs and botched it. And she was crying and sad. And the other kid that had just gotten the new doll, I caught running up the stairs, reaching for the kitchen drawer to pull out the kitchen scissors and start cutting her doll's hair. I said, no, 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 wait, 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 what are you doing? She said, my sister messed up her doll's hair and she's hurting, and I don't want her to hurt alone. So I'm going to cut my brand new doll's hair so she doesn't have to feel this way by herself. I didn't let her. <laughs> and mom fixed the botched haircut. That's not natural. No one does that. And so as we look at the picture of Jesus... Every accusation thrown his way, he remains silent. If Jesus has a Facebook page, he never posts. <laughs> no Twitter handle. Silence. Everything said about him that wasn't true of him, but was true of us, he took. He died. And my time of reflection this year, I tried to imagine what it was like right before he said, it is finished, and made a last cry. And you know what I pictured this year? Maybe you can picture it with me. I think he smiled. I think he smiled before that last breath. Because we finally had a choice. Because we were the ones to blame. And he said, I paid it. It's finished. (sighs) 
So today there's three things we need to do. Take the blame and confess our sins. Stop pointing the finger. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming the culture. Blaming family, blaming workplace, blaming your disability, blaming your sickness, blaming whatever. Own your guilt. And once you've done that, believe in Jesus. And know that as terrible and awful, all the things you thought or said or done, all the penalty that you deserve has been paid in full. If you simply believe and receive what he's done for you. That's not right. That's not fair. No, it's not. That is why Christianity stands head and shoulders above every other world religion. Head and shoulders over every other belief system because it doesn't make sense. Every other world religion, you've got to earn your way. You've got to be better. You've got to do something. And, and, and our belief system, the true belief system says we can't. Our God reigns because he stooped to the lowest places. The God of the universe paid our penalty and still leaves us a choice. Who does that? Only the perfect being in the universe that loves you and knows you by name. And then finally, live a new life with Jesus. Live! Live a new life with Jesus. There's an empty grave. Pastor Sean and I, about five years ago, visited Jerusalem. And we found a grave that may have been the same one, maybe a different one. It doesn't matter, because guess what? He didn't leave a speck of DNA in there. We went in, and I thought I'd get some great holy experience, like this is going to be an earth-shattering moment. And you know what I felt? Zero. The next moment I felt something was when I was with my brother and the other pastors that were with us. Because Jesus, God's presence, entered the tomb when I went in there. And it left when I left because I am now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides with me. So stop making yourself pay. Stop living a miserable life as a Christian. Because Jesus lives and we don't have to pay the penalty anymore. There's an unbelieving world out there that still doesn't believe when they look at us because we don't live the life we profess. We're still making ourselves suffer. It's been paid for. Wake up every morning. I talk about this all the time, but I'm going to say it again today. Wake up every morning and thank God you're still breathing. Look in the mirror. I know, I don't want to look in the mirror. I see gray hairs and hairs coming out of places I didn't know they were going to come out of and, you know, old age spots and all the things I don't like about. Look in the mirror and say, Jesus, tell me who I am. You tell me who I am. I've been told my whole life who I am, but you tell me who I am because I'm born again. I'm made new. I'm bought with the blood of the Lamb. I'm an adopted son or daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You tell me who I am. 
and then let me follow you all day long. And you just talk to them. Doesn't matter if people think you're crazy. You don't have to talk out loud. Maybe you need to. You talk to them. You walk with them. You ask questions, and then you do what he tells you to do, and that's what you do every day. And it's this beautiful journey. No comparison, no blame game, nothing. You're free from the game. You don't ever have to hear me use that stupid voice again. You're free. The third step is only possible because of the resurrection. Our faith would be the worst kind of tragedy without the resurrection. Yes, we get this beautiful picture of Christ's eternal love for us as he died on the cross for our sins, and then it was done. And we never got to know him. Do you hate those tragedy stories? I mean, I love them in a sense where, where I see the beauty of love. I, I, I love Braveheart. I love that movie. But it's sad because William Wallace dies in the end, right? And then all these people who have benefited from his sacrifice never got to know him. How many of you have been the recipient of that kind of grace? Somebody that, that gave you a, an organ transplant or somebody else. They gave you life and yet you won't get to know them. But the beauty of our story is the grave did not hold him. And we get to know him. And we get to be grateful every day. And we may say, some days, Jesus, I wish I could pay you back. And he says, you don't have to. You're my kid. Every good parent delights in blessing their children. Look like me. Walk with me. That's the difference. One last challenge to you, the church. Save Judas's. What do I mean by this? There are people out there just like Judas who know their sin and are accepting the blame for why they are the way they are, and they're seeking hope and a second chance. And unfortunately, many religious leaders look at them and write them off and say, that's your deal. What does that have to do with me? I love that this church is full of adopted kids and foster kids. I love that there are more and more churches in the Morgantown area who are doing that. Because it, years ago it may have been, well, that's not my family. That's not my problem. You brought kids into this world in this bad situation. You deal with it. The church is now saying, no, that's life. And every life is precious, and every life comes at, at the time that God says. And so if I have an opportunity to bring that child into my house and raise it as my own, that's what the gospel is. Thank you, Lord. That's happening. But we as the church need to be the same way. If we are the people of covenant, this is who we're supposed to look like. There are Judases out there, fully aware of their sin, feeling terrible, living with depression and heartache, don't write off drug addicts. Don't write off alcoholics. Do you know how they get to that point? They're hurting and they're wounded and they know that they don't have the answers and they're just crying out. Those are Judases. We point them to Jesus. We love them when they don't deserve it because that's what we received. So as Christians, our perspective needs to be this way. We see somebody with scarred arms from all the lines they've been putting in. Or we see people who have injuries and, and worn out and, and homeless or whatever else. Do you know what we do to them? We say, hey, look at my wrists. See that? I used to, I used to have 
handcuffs. I used to have chains on my wrists. They left permanent scars. Check out my ankles. I've been where you've been before. Jesus saved me. I'm no better than you. I just know one who can change you and transform you. And then you bring them to Jesus. And he shows them his eternal scars that he bore for them. And it's a beautiful thing. Pastor Sean shared an illustration first service. I'm going to share it again. But I'm giving due credit for him because this was the most beautiful picture I'd, I'd ever heard. And I'm probably not going to tell it as well as you did. So, okay, all right. But he told the story of, of um, a kid in Florida who they had like a pond behind their house and the mom said, please don't go in the pond without me there. And young kid, and uh, he decided to go swimming and so took off his shirt and, and pants and, and shoes and jumped in the pond and the mom was near the house and saw an alligator coming for the, her son and screamed and yelled and ran to the dock. The, the child heard the mom yelling, swam as fast as he could to the dock. She reached over to grab him and pull him out, got his hands, and at the same time she grabbed his hands, the alligator got his legs. And there was this tug of war going on for this child's life. And a, and a neighbor farmer drove by back in the day when you'd have gun racks on your, on your truck and had his gun and pulled it out and shot the alligator and was able to free the young man. And, and so he ended up in the hospital in critical condition and, and was in recovery. And the local news source, I don't know if it was a newspaper or, or, or TV station, came and talked to the young man about his experience and asked if, if they could see the scars, right? And so he, he pulled down uh, the sheet and showed the scars on his legs. But he said, those aren't the scars that I'm proud of. And he showed the scars on his arms where his mom's fingernails had dug into his arms trying to save his life. And he said, these are the scars that I'm proud of. Because this shows how much my mom loved me to try to save me. Show your scars. Don't hide them from the world. Scars are wounds that have healed. And people who are wounded need to know that their wounds can heal. So save the Judases. They're out there. And when I meet with people for counseling or whatever else, and they come to me and they think, they're like, I didn't want to tell you all this because you're a pastor and you probably haven't heard of all these terrible things and I feel so bad. And I'm like, great! Praise God you're telling me all these things because you're admitting your guilt. Now God can do something in you. You're in a great place. And they look at me like I'm crazy. But it's true. Stop playing the blame game. Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you took the blame. You took our shame as you hung naked on the cross. You took the labels that people have thrown at us and you were silent. You took the beating that we deserve. You took our death upon the cross. And so we have spent our life up to this point pointing fingers and passing the blame. Jesus, today, help us to own our blame. To admit who we are apart from you. And in the same breath, Lord, because there's an empty tomb, because the Savior of the universe loves us enough that you died and rose again, 
Help us to know that we can receive freedom, that you died to give us a choice. And although that blame is true of us, you bore our blame so that we could be free and made new and adopted sons and daughters of the king. Help us to not be afraid to show our scars, Lord. Help no one in this community to ever hear us say the same thing the Pharisees said. That's your problem. What does that have to do with me? Let us look like you, Jesus. Running into the fray. Willingly laying down our lives for those who do not deserve it. Because that is who we once were. And we're now new in you. So this morning, Jesus, those that want to start this journey with you, as I say these words, let them pray that in their heart. Jesus, I am guilty. I don't deserve your love, and I am a mess. Forgive me of my sins. I don't understand how you could die for me. I don't understand how you could love me but I have no other answers and I want a new life in you. Your word tells us that anyone who believes does not have to perish but can have eternal life. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, I pray that this, these individuals that have prayed this prayer would know that and feel that and be changed and transformed. For those of us that have made promises to you, like Peter and the disciples, that we haven't kept, and we've abandoned you and we've run away from you, maybe that's the kind of Judas that we are. We traded you in for something else, and we think, he doesn't want me anymore. Let us hear your voice saying, son, daughter, Come home. Come home. I'll put new shoes on your feet. I'll wash you with the water of the word. I'll put new clothes on your back. I'll give you a new ring of authority. We're going to have a party. Just come home. And God, change us, transform us. Let us walk this journey together. Help us to stop trying to do it on our own. You've given us a family for a reason. Let us be the family that you've called us to be in your name. Amen. At this point of the service, the lights are going to dim down and the altar is open.